And I'm glad to be in God's house. How many of y'all are glad to be saved? How many of y'all are glad the devil can't do a blessed thing about it? Amen. Just a, just a quick report. While y'all are turning uh, there at Fairview, while you're turning to Matthew chapter number 20, uh, you know where we stopped last week. So we'll just start where we stopped last week. Matthew chapter number 20, I think, verse 17. But while you're turning, let me give you a little update on our project, uh, our church planning project. We have surpassed 10% of our goal. Can we give God praise and glory right there? Listen, every time we go a 10%, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an update. So when we hit 20%, I'll give you another update, and then a 30 and a 40. And by the time this year's over, we're going to be able to say that God has allowed us to plant 1,000 churches this year. Come on now, let's give God praise and glory. Amen? We have heard, we have heard several, several really, really cool testimonies. Uh, about that and what God is doing. If you're new and, and this is, uh, you hadn't been here in a couple of weeks, we have started a campaign to plant churches. Uh, TTI has the ability to plant a church in this world uh, for $300. And we, we passed out these, uh, these little church boxes, which represents a little church that makes up the big church. Amen. We've got our big church over here. Fairview, you've got one there. And uh, if you can see, it's starting to stack up. How many of y'all can see that over there? I don't know if you guys over here can, if they can put it on screen, but it is starting to show. Amen. They are coming in. And if you would like to, if you'd like to be responsible for planning a church, each one of these represents $300. And when you take a box home, just put whatever. And this is what we're, we're trying to do. We're not only, we're not only trying to plant churches, we're wanting to use something and have something to build our faith. This is not just about planting churches. This is about giving God an opportunity. We kick this off with a message that we, where we learn that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro in this earth. In other words, God wants to show out and show off on your behalf. Amen? And so we're giving him an opportunity. We're asking people to take one home and don't try to figure out how to fill it. Ask God to fill it. And God will provide something from out of nowhere and you'll know it came from God. And when you see God do it, it will build your faith. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, let's build our faith. Let's build our faith. This is a great way to do that. So I want you to take one of those home and pray about it and ask God to fill it. And I promise you he will. But let me give you a warning. If you take one home and you pray that God will fill it and something comes out of nowhere for that and you pay your cable bill. So I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't I, I, I wouldn't do that. How many of y'all know God can get back what's his? You pay your cable bill with it after God provided it for you to plant a church, your washer and dryer is going to go out. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I know. I haven't been there. I, I'm not, I'm not going to test the Lord. Amen. All right. Here we go. Matthew chapter 20. Uh, I hope everybody's found your spot. Matthew 20 verse 17. If you're there, say amen. And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. Now this is a big deal because all the disciples know that they are trying to kill Jesus. Everybody in Jerusalem, all the religious crowd, all the, the, the religious elite want him dead. And they know he's risking his life by going to Jerusalem. But Jesus goes and more specifically says, 
The Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? What, what, what is it that you're wanting? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, and what the one on the right hand, and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. I guess because they didn't think of it first. Verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know, ye know, and now he's fixed to go into teaching mode. Brother, Brother Willie, would you give me a couple of those tissues right there? Uh, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your what? Minister. And whoever will be chief among you, let him be your... Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more. <laughs> they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still. Well, there's a lot of preaching right there. Jesus stood still. Y'all glad Jesus will take time out for you. Jesus stood still and called them and said, What wilt ye that I should do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your mercy and your kindness and your grace. We thank you for the good crowd that's here. And Lord, I thank you for our friends and our family that's in Fairview right now joining us in this service. I pray that you'll anoint them out there. I pray that you'll bless those that are in this building. God, we just come to hear a word. We, we need to hear from you. God, I pray that you'll help us. I pray that you'll challenge us. I pray that you'll encourage us. I pray that you'll convict us. I pray that you'll, Lord... Uh, just put something in us to make us want to be better than we were yesterday. And God will praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Some messages, some messages are that I consider maybe feasts or uh, uh, steak or whatever your favorite might be. Uh, that you don't get a lot. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? 
I know some of y'all get what you want when you want it, but us, the rest of us folks ain't like that. Some of the places we go, we go when we have a gift card. I need a witness. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? You know, there are some messages that are like that. They're just like ice cream with the sprinkles on top. But then there are some messages that's just like the, the, the bologna and cheese that you got to have every week. Are y'all with me? You know, some, some meals are maintenance meals. It's upkeep meals. It's meals that, hey, it, it keeps you going. It keeps you happening. And, and I think this is one of those types. This is one of those that may seem like a routine. It may seem like uh, uh, this is just historical facts or, or, or material. But I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid we need to take real heart in what Jesus is trying to teach us right here. We're looking at a time where Jesus is in the last hours of his life, the last, the last days of his life. Uh, he, it's all about to come to fruition. Everything is about to be said and done. And how many of y'all know, how many of y'all know that when you're in the end that you only talk about what's important? I've never heard anybody on their deathbed uh, think, well, I wonder if I can, I, I wonder if I can shoot just a little better on my golf game. Or I wonder if the fish are biting. No, I've never, I've never heard that. The only thing that's ever talked about or the only thing that's ever mentioned is what's important. And that's what we see coming from the Lord Jesus here. But I'm afraid that humanity is humanity. People are people. And I, I find ourselves in these disciples here. Sometimes I look at them and I think, dear God, how could they go there? And then I think of how many times that I have been just like them. And so I want to, I want to go through this and, and, and the first couple, the first couple points is really, uh, just information and, 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 and what we see here. And then I want to, I want to kind of hunker down in, in point number three. I think that's where the message is that God wants to help us with. But number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to see, first of all, we see in these verses, a serious revelation, a serious revelation. This is the third time this is the third time that the Lord Jesus has, has told the disciples about his death. Now, the first couple times was not as in detail, was not as explicit as he was right here in this particular situation, but this is the third time. And not any of those times did they get it. They were not getting, they were not hearing what he was saying. Yet in this particular time, he went into great detail to explain what was happening to him. The first thing we see is his betrayal. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. Now, betrayal doesn't come from your enemy. Does everybody understand that? If you've been betrayed, it's not from an enemy. Betrayal only happens from a friend. Are y'all with me? And part of his suffering, part of his difficulty was the betrayal. He said, let, let me go back, let me go back in verse number 17. He says, uh, or excuse me, verse 18, he begins to des describe to them what's happening. He said, I'm going to be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death, and they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, and to crucify him. So four things we see is his betrayal, his suffering, write that word down, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. We see a serious revelation. In other words, in other words, we find Jesus trying to let them understand just how serious what is fixing to happen. Now imagine this. Imagine if you were the Lord Jesus. Imagine knowing this 
your whole life. Imagine, imagine 30 years of contemplating this moment, 30 years of going over and over in your mind. You know, we don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't. We don't know uh, what's going to happen in our future. We don't know if we're going to go in a plane crash. We don't know if we're going to go in our sleep, not screaming and crying like the ones in the car with us. Amen. We don't know if, if, if we're going to have a heart attack. We don't know. We don't know if we're going to go into rapture, which, you know, sometimes I, I hear people say, well, I just wish I knew. I don't want to know. But Jesus knew. I wonder how many times over and over and over in his mind he went and he contemplated the torture, the betrayal, the suffering, everything that he was going to go through. Can you imagine how heavy this moment is? And I want you to get this. I want you to put this in your mind because you're going to see how crazy it is what the disciples did when you see how heavy this moment is. It reminds me just in a small, small way. Uh, I was I was in my front yard in, in, in Barnwell, South Carolina, uh, many, many years ago before we moved out here. And, and one of my coon hunting buddies that I, I coon hunted with got my very first coon dog from him. He, had, he, he raised red bones, and, and man, I wanted a red bone I'd read where the red fern grows, and man, you just had to have a red bone. Well, anyway, uh, uh, he pulls in the yard, and the first words out of his mouth is, I've only got six months to live. He just left the doctor, just left and came and said, I mean, I was just, I was stunned. I was just stunned. I I didn't even know what to say. I didn't know how to respond. I, I was just, I was in shock almost. This is what Jesus is telling them. And it wasn't six months. It was a matter of a week that Jesus had left. And, and he wasn't dying of cancer. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to suffer. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be crucified, which is the absolute worst kind of torture and death there was in humanity. Now, can everybody see the heaviness of this moment? Would you raise your hand? Can you see the heaviness of this moment? Now, watch what happens. Right after this serious revelation, there is a self-centered request. It says, just as soon as Jesus finished telling them he was going to be crucified, scourged, betrayed, mocked, and die. Then, verse 20, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with their sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto her, Grant that these my two sons may sit, one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Can you imagine? That would be, that would be like your boss, your boss telling you, I've only got a matter of hours to live. And you saying, You reckon I can have your office? Y'all see this? The serious, the heaviness of this moment. And they're only concerned about themselves. Now, this is not the first time they acted this way. If you will remember back in Matthew chapter number 18, you'll see it on the top of your notes. I put it there. They're wanting to know who's going to be the greatest. 
Now they're asking this question. They're asking this question after three years of an example of the most humble activity that's ever been on this planet. Everything Jesus said was humble. Everything Jesus said was meek. Everything Jesus did was as a servant. But yet they're wanting to know who's going to be the greatest. First we see, if you're writing these down, remember this is just the intro. We're going to preach into number three. In this self-centered request, we find selfish ambition. Verses 20 and 21, selfish ambition. They wanted a place of power. They wanted a position of authority. They wanted, they wanted promotion. They wanted prominence. Not only do we see selfish ambition, but we see sinful arrogance. Sinful arrogance. Arrogance will cause you to have a wrong ambition. And there's not, let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. There's nothing wrong with wanting to win. Everybody should have ambition. But you should have ambition for the right things. Are y'all with me? You say, where do you find the arrogance? Jesus looks at them. Jesus looks at them. And he says, do you, want, you, you don't even understand what you're asking for. Because in God's economy, the crown doesn't come first. The cross does. They are asking for promotion without the suffering. And he says, do you understand what you're asking for? Do you understand what it takes to sit in those seats? Jesus had already said, if you suffer with me, you will reign with me. But the suffering comes first. He said, are you able to be baptized with the baptism? Now, he's not talking about Christian baptism. He's not talking about, he's talk, not talking about being immersed in water. He's talking about being immersed completely in suffering. Are you able to drink the cup that I will drink of? That cup was the utter wrath of his father. It is the cup of suffering. It is a cup of pain and agony. It is the full wrath of God the Father being poured out on His Son because His Son has become sin for us. He said, are you able to do and go through what I'm fixing to go through? And you know what they said? Yeah. Yeah, we're able. How arrogant. How foolish. He said, well, guess what? You're going to. You're going to. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. You know what? James, James, this is one of them. It's James and John, by the way. If you don't know that, it's James and John. Their mama, they're all in this thing together because if you go read Mark, you'll find out they, they, they're together. They went through this thing. They put their mama up to it. How manly is it to put your mama up to asking Jesus for something? Amen. They're in it together. But guess what? James was the first martyr. James was beheaded. His was swift. It was a quick action. He was the first one to go. John, his suffering lasted. He endured suffering. He went through the Isle of Patmos and a penal colony on an island outcast. 
some of the worst sufferings that you had, James and John, they experienced it. But he said, listen, this place is not mine to give. This is, the Father's going to determine. You don't even realize what you're asking. But not only that, not only that, we see a shared attitude. A selfish ambition, a sinful arrogance. And by the way, by the way, while you're writing that down, they lied. They lied because Jesus said, Jesus said, when the shepherd is smitten, the sheep will scatter, and they all ran like little chickens. Every one of them. James and John included. Are y'all with me? So their arrogance was unfounded. But there's a shared attitude. Before you jump on them two, hey, all the rest of them are the same. They're all the same. Look in verse 23. He says, and, and he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two. Now, now before you, before you think that they had holy indignation, before you get this idea that they were offended because Jesus was offended, they were offended at their arrogancy. They were offended at, at their lack of humility and lack of servanthood. That's a lie. They were mad because they didn't think of it first. And I know that because this continues. Jesus teaching this lesson doesn't stop it. It continues all the way to the night of Jesus' arrest. And he has to, why do you think he washed their feet? Because they were still arguing over who was going to be the greatest. Who's going to have the power? Who's going to have the authority? Who's going to get the prominence? Who's going to... Now, this could be part of this to understand some of this. It might have been because of their relationship with Jesus. How many of y'all knew, how many of y'all knew that uh, their mother was Mary's sister? So that made them Jesus' what? Cousins. They were with Jesus in several places of prominence. And when, they, when he went in and, 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 and raised the dead, uh, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, are y'all with me? Peter, James, and John went. So James and John thinking, we, we've got an inroad in this deal. But they were self-promoting. They were trying to promote themselves. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, let's look at number three. And here's where I want to spend just a little time. We see a sobering reminder. A sobering reminder. Jesus sees what's going on. Once again, he's patient. He's not like us, amen. I would have had I would have I would have I would have I would have caused a miracle and had them all have indigestion for 30 minutes. <laughs> Just to try to get their attention. Are y'all with me? But Jesus is kind, and, and I'm glad he is because we need his mercy and kindness and patience. So thank God he's not like us. It says, verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren, but Jesus. Say amen. amen. But Jesus called them unto him. Now keep in mind, there's a pretty good crowd with this, with this bunch. They're going, it, it is Passover time. And, and so there's people traveling from all over the world going this direction, uh, going to Jerusalem. 
Because if you know, they come from Galilee and they will come south, cross over, cross over the Jordan onto the east side of the Jordan so as not to go through Samaria, you know, and be, be, be polluted and come back around to Jericho. Jericho is the last spot before you go because Jericho has a spring. Jericho has water. How many of y'all know when you're traveling through the desert, you got to go from one water spot to the next water spot? That makes sense? Well, that's what's happening. There's a big crowd with them, and they are traveling to Jerusalem because people have to come from all over the world to Jerusalem to worship and to offer sacrifices because it's required. So there's a, there's a great traveling band here, but Jesus calls him to himself and says, Come here. He says, i got to teach you some things. Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. Dominion, authority. But it shall, come on everybody, but it shall not be so among you. If you're taking notes, write this down. In this sobering reminder, we see a contrasting greatness. A contrasting greatness. Jesus is contrasting, that's showing the difference if you don't know what that word means, in his comparison one to the other. He's showing the world's greatness and he's showing God's greatness. He's showing the way the world does things and the way that God's economy works. In the world, there is self-promotion. In the world, there is kill or be killed. In the world, there is do whatever you can to promote yourself to move up the ladder. It doesn't matter who you hurt. It doesn't matter who you put down. As long as you move up, it does not matter. Do whatever you can to promote yourself. Are y'all with me? But among you, among the children of God, among the disciples, among the body of Christ, It will not be so. And then he begins to describe what it looks like to be great. I don't even think, I don't even, well, I know, I know because I wasn't even finished till yesterday afternoon. But we, we heard a song, we heard a song that was sung earlier about what the kings of this earth look like and what greatness looks like. But then we say we have a king who is known by his mercy. We have a king who's known by his grace. Everybody else is by their power and by their dominion and by their authority and by what the work. Y'all, y'all with me? And that was great, Brother Jane. That had to have been a Holy Ghost thing because I didn't tell him and he didn't tell me, but it fit right together. Amen. In this world, if you have a throne, you're great. In this world, if you have servants, you're great. If In this world, if you have people who bow down to you and serve you, you're great, but not in God's economy. Not in God's economy. In God's economy, he said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In God's economy, God hates pride. God hates oppression. God hates people who try to have authority over other people. That is not God's way. God says, humble yourself. God wants humility. He said, if you want to be great. if you Now, you remember, we've done had this conversation. This is not new. 
Do y'all remember several chapters ago in chapter 18 when they were arguing over who is going to be the greatest? He pulled a little child and said, unless a man becomes as this little child. How many of y'all remember? If y'all don't, I'll preach it again next week. Are y'all with me? So this is not the first time he's had to tell the disciples this. He says, if you want to be great, look what he says. He says, it will not be that way among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your... Look in verse 26. Let him be your minister, which means servant, so you're good. Whosoever will be your chief among you, let him be your servant. Now the word minister here is is diakonos. It's where we get our word for deacon. It means table waiter. It means servant. It means someone who comes and cleans your table for you. What is he saying? If you want to be great, clean somebody's table for them. I mean, let's just be what the Bible is saying. It's exactly what it's saying. You want to be great? Be a servant. How, how different? How different is that than the world's mentality? People think greatness is when people come and serve you and when people come and clean your table. But God is saying if you want to be great in his eyes, you got to be willing to clean somebody else's table. Come on. Look, he goes even deeper. He he gets even more specific. He said, if you want to be great, be a servant. Be a table waiter. If you want to be chief, if you want to be chief, be a servant. Now, the word he used here was the word doulos. The Greek word doulos. And you know what that word means? Slave. Slave. Even a table waiter gets paid. But a slave has no rights. Man, it's quiet in here. A slave. In God's kingdom, a slave who has no rights. Who, who, who has no authority. He has no prominence. He has no reputation. He only is able to do what he's told to do. According to God, is chief. How backwards, how backwards is that in the world society? Now do you understand, now do you understand why we can't let the culture of the world and the mentality of the world creep into the church? You may tell you when there's problems in the church is when somebody comes in with the world's mentality and they want to be a big fish in a small pond. If somebody ever asks for authority and wonder why they don't have authority, they don't get it. They don't understand. They have no concept of what Jesus has taught. But if anybody says, is there anything I can do? Is there anybody I can serve? Is there anybody I can help? They get it. They get it. Now watch this. One of the greatest compliments that's ever been said about Temple Baptist Church, and I would agree, 
People come in and they are amazed, especially other pastors. And we've been having them come in regularly because they want to see what we're doing and how to do it. And, 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 and they'll come in and they'll stand in the foyer and they'll watch all of the helpers and the, and the, and the servants going busy, 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 busy. All the volunteers going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Serving. And this is what one of them said. One of the pastors said, I found and I understand why Temple is so great. And I said, why? He said, because everybody wants a small part of something big. And when you find people that go into little places and they're a big part of something little, you know. And by the way, we've had them come, but they don't stay long. Because they can't get any authority. They can't get any prominence, any power. So they will go to a smaller church or a smaller congregation where they can get some power. And it doesn't matter if it stays small as long as they keep there. And Jesus said, not among you. Not among you. James and John was wanting that authority. They were wanting that power. They were wanting that prestige. They were wanting people to look at them. And he said, you don't get it. That's what the world does. That's what lost people do. That's what the devil's kingdom is all about. Not God's kingdom. Is everybody with me right there? Look at this. We not only see the contrasting greatness. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself. Say it with me. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. The same is, come on, the same is in the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a question. Let's be honest. Who would you rather think you're great? The one in the pew beside you or the one in heaven above you? Amen? (laughs) Yeah, preach, preacher. That's good, sir. Just drop the plow right on through. Let the rough end drag. Amen. Mark 9.35, Mark 9.35, and he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. 1 Corinthians 9.19, Paul said this, For though I be free from all men, he said, I'm not obligated to anybody. Yet have I made myself Servant under that I might gain the more. What a great example. We see contrasting greatness. Verses 25 through 27. But as, as usual, we see B, a convicting guide. I think it was Mark Twain. I think it was Mark Twain. I'm pretty sure it was. Who said, there is nothing as irritating as a good example. Do I have a witness of you humble people? I'm going to admit that. Nothing is irritating is a good example. That's why when some of you guys in here, you post something on Facebook where you, you bought flowers or you did something good, all the rest of those guys are irritated. Because of that good example, amen. Jesus says this. Look what he says. He says, whosoever will be great 
Let him be your minister. Let him be your table waiter. Your diakonos. The servant. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Your doulos, your slave. In other words, serve for nothing. Serve for nothing. Verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. You know what that means? Jesus is not expecting us to climb a ladder he hadn't already climbed. Y'all with me? Look what it says. Let this mind be in you. Look at your notes. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be. Mind means way of thinking. Way of thinking. This is how I want you to think. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God... Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now what does that mean? That means he was in the form of God. He, he, he had all of the, the esteem, all of the glory, all of the majesty, but he did not selfishly hold on to that form. He submitted himself and took upon the form of a man. Does this make sense? He didn't selfishly hold on to what he rightly deserved. He was willing to give that up to to humble himself and become a creation. Not the creator, but the creation. He took upon the form of a man. And then look what it says. But made himself of no what? Reputation. How many of us are so worried about what people think about us? How many of us get so sideways when we think people think this or think that? And took upon him the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Think about this. The one who deserved to lay down in silk sheets in a palace said the birds have holes and the fo- or the foxes have holes and the birds have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head he had nothing i wonder how many times in his existence he had to sleep outside because he didn't have a house to sleep in that was your savior your convicting example And we want to whine and complain. We don't have this. We don't have that. All of this in the darkest moments of Jesus' life. They're worried about themselves. And by the way, it goes right right on up into the upper room. The whole reason Jesus got down and washed their feet was trying to fix this problem that they had. Is everybody with me? Say amen. We see a convicting God. Then number four. This is the usual thing that happens. This is the usual thing that happens. A lot of times, Jesus will teach a lesson. And then he will illustrate it. Y'all with me? He'll say, this is what you're supposed to do. And then he'll show how to do it. Does that make sense? And I, I almost, I almost was going to take this section, Brother Mickle, and use it next week. 
Because it almost looked like a totally separate deal, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. Because the Holy Spirit showed me, listen, that goes with it. Keep that together. Because Jesus just told them how they should be and what they should do, and then he illustrated it in front of them. If this makes sense, say amen. Watch the example, the servant's response. In other words, it's like Jesus saying, let me show you what a real servant would do. Let me, have, let me show you how a servant would respond. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, and because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? Verse 32. Now, now let's put this in. Everybody look at me for a minute. Jericho is way down here. I think if I remember right, 1,300 miles below sea level. 1,300 feet below sea Miles, that'd be deep, wouldn't it? 1,300 feet below sea level. All right? Jer- Jer- Jerusalem is like... 2,500 feet above sea level. When they say they go up to Jerusalem, they're not saying, when we say we go up, we go up north. That means we're going north. But when they say they go up to Jerusalem, they mean they going vertical. Is everybody with me? And it is a serious, serious, intense journey. Because you're going, you're going from 1,300 feet below sea level up to that stratosphere in just a matter of 17, 16, 17 miles. Now, the good part for all you going to Jerusalem with us, we shall be in an air-conditioned tour bus. Say amen. But they're walking. And they're getting themselves up for this journey. And they're going. And they've already been traveling all the way from Galilee. And by the way, they don't have tour buses back then. They're walking everywhere they go. So they are exhausted. They're wore out. They've got a serious, serious leg of the journey. Probably the most difficult. Almost vertical. Straight up. They've got to walk as they go up to Jerusalem. But somebody's demanding Jesus' time. And this is what a servant does. This is what I see. Write this down. We see a servant's response, A, in the time he took. In the time he took. Jesus stood still. Jesus stood still. Now I know some of y'all are thinking, well that's not that big a deal. Really? You don't think so? In the last year, how many times have you said, I just don't have... I just don't have time. I would serve in this area, but I don't have. I'd stop and help, but I I don't have time. I don't think there's anybody that with as much pressure and as much responsibility that Jesus had in this moment. Now think about this too. Think about this too. This just come to my mind and, and I need to tell you this. There is nothing as lonely as when you're in it alone. 
Brother Doug, you're probably the only one in this building that can understand what I'm fixing to say. There have been times I come out here and, and I got my church family, thousands. And I feel like I'm all by myself. Jesus has tried to tell them. Jesus has tried to explain to them. But truly, in the situation, he's all by himself. Because they're not getting it. They're not understanding it. They're about themselves and themselves only. Even even though Jesus is in a crowd of people, he feels all alone. Yet, he took time for two people who could do nothing for him. That's why he's great. Brother Mickle, that's why we call him chief. Just because of the time he took. You know, the greatest thing you could probably ever give to someone is your time. But not only that, I want you to see the service he sought. The time he took and the service he sought. Say, so why'd you word it that way? Look what he said. Look what he said. What can I do for you? Look at me, everybody. I know y'all y'all done fill out all your all your slots. So you're wanting to fold up so bad because you but you know I've got on to you the last four times, so you're worried that I'm gonna hear you. So you do it real quietly. Don't worry, I can hear y'all out at Fairview too. You just keep on folding that paper. You know what someone great does? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? This world is looking for people who will serve them. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. He goes on, he goes on, and I don't really want to get ahead of myself, because eventually we'll we'll get there and cover it. But I want to give you some encouragement, because we have been so filled with the thought process of the world and the devil And by the way, that was the devil's problem too. He wanted to be chief. He wanted authority. He wanted power. But it stemmed, according to Scripture, from pride. And that's where it comes from in us too. But Jesus Jesus showed an example of how to be a servant. But here's my encouragement to you. Because I'm I'm going to... I'm going to kind of scratch your carnal side right here. Because we want to know, what do we get out of it? Because that's what most, before we even do anything, we want to know what we get out of it. And Peter, you remember what Peter said in, in the chapter before? 
He said, we've given up this and we've given up that. What about us? You remember? He's, he's saying, what do we get out of this deal? Jesus washed their feet. He said, do you see what I've done? It was the most menial task. It was, honestly, it was the job of a slave. And you know what he said? How many of y'all know Jesus is pretty smart? Okay, let's take a vote. How many of y'all believe Jesus knows what he's talking about? You know what Jesus said about that? About washing somebody else's feet? About taking on the job of a slave? Happy are ye if you do this. Let me tell you why rich people are blowing their brains out. Because they bought into a lie. The devil has convinced them if you buy more stuff and have more stuff and have more people look at you and, and worship you and serve you, then you're going to be happy. You're going to be happy. But you know what I found to be different? That's not so. I can't tell you how many times. I can't tell you how many times. We've had dinner on the ground. We've had, we've had fellowships. kind of hard now. That's the only bad part about having a big church. I miss that. I miss dinner on the grounds and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But I can't tell you how many times me and Brother Mickle would be standing and everybody in line, everybody in line, and everybody kept trying to tell us to get in line, get in line, get in line. Nope, nope, nope. Y'all go ahead. We're here. And we would go around and, hey, you need something to drink? Can I throw that away for you? And they're frustrated because we were, and they had no idea we were getting more joy out of serving them. And that's not a false humility, that's the truth. We enjoyed it. You know why? Because that's what God said it would be. When you're able to help somebody, you're able to serve somebody. But if you have this mindset that you're not going to be happy till you can get some power, till you can get some authority, till, till, till you can get somebody to take you seriously. Problem is you take yourself too seriously. But if you'll say, listen, I'm just going to take some time and ask somebody, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? I've done gone over, but I've got to share this part. It's, just, it's a principle. Everybody looking at me? Everybody looking at me? Wake up and, and if, if you see somebody dozing, pinch them. Only if they're dozing. Now look at me, everybody. This is a principle. A man went out looking for friends, and he couldn't find any. So he changed his tactic. He said, today, the next day, I'm going to go out and be a friend. And you know what happened? He found a bunch. See, today, throughout this next week, let's, let's practice what we preach. Let's find somebody and say, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I bless you? The Allisons, I'm going to put you on the spot.
Y'all enjoy serving back there? And you can tell. Get here early. Get here early. Set up everything. All this. They're not getting paid. They're not getting paid. Well, they are. You know how they're getting paid? The joy and the fulfillment and the happiness from serving others. I see, I see Jesse Sunday mornings. If y'all don't get here early enough, he's out with a blower and in and, and, and a, and a, a uh, about to say go-kart. It ain't a go-kart. Golf cart. Golf cart. Hey, we can soup it up. Amen. We can put a hemi in there. Amen. And just as happy as can be. He's not getting paid. He chooses to do it. Because he's got a servant's heart. And the fulfillment he gets from it. Matter of fact, if we tried to pay, he would lose the fulfillment. Because then it's no longer a servant. Then it's no longer a slave. Here's what I want you to do this week. Find somebody. Find somebody. And you won't have to look hard and say, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Say it with me. Say it, say it like you're, you're, you're nice about it. Not, you need me to do anything? Say it with a yes face, okay? Let's practice it. Okay, everybody at Fairview, real loud so I can hear you here. You ready? Everybody there and everybody here. What can I do for you? And you will be amazed how your day will pick up. And all of God's people say it.